Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing Star Trek Discovery, Season 3, Episode 3, People of Earth. Woo! I have a major beef with this episode. Uh-oh. Not enough grudge. <laughs> it's true. It's definitely not enough grudge. I'm worried like- because book, like left at the end of the episode that we're gonna have like an episode or two where there's no grudge yeah i'm sad about it i'm i am preemptively sad also no book i'm not into that but uh you know you promise fans uh, a, a series with a cat and you sort of owe them a series with a cat i i don't want to sound entitled i just think there's an implicit bargain between television show and fewer it's like baby yoda right right no spoilers i haven't watched it yet (laughs) i'm just Um, saying you have to have baby yoda or it's not really an episode of the mandalorian (laughs) exactly grudge is our baby yoda but what did you think overall of the episode I really enjoyed this episode. I saw some comments here and there saying that it felt like filler, and I completely disagree. I think many of the plot beats were predictable, but they were also important to the story and not completely unsurprising. Yeah, it really took its time to deal with character stuff in a way that we've been wishing Discovery would do for years. So, yeah, I like this episode. I think it was... I understand the comments that call it filler because it was like well paced and Mm. they took their time. So like each scene had, you know, three or four beats. Like it was very, I don't want to say formulaic because that's not what I mean, but it followed the way that a television script is meant to be written and Discovery has struggled with that in the past. Or deliberately chosen not to do it. Or deliberately chosen not to do it. And so I feel like this was sort of like a throwback to the idea of television and specifically Star Mm. Trek on television. That maybe people were like, wait, you're like taking time for Tilly to be sad? Why are you doing that? That's not a thing that happens on Discovery. And it was also, you know, the hostile aliens versus the host the other hostile aliens who turn out to be the same aliens okay. i mean it was super predictable like, i definitely yeah, this... like i expected everything that happened but that doesn't that's not mm. necessarily a bad thing or a complaint like just because it follows the storyline that it's telling doesn't mean that it's told wrong like i don't want to be surprised all the time i don't i definitely don't want twists all the time we, we could predict the story because we understand the language of Star Trek. And this is a very, very classic original series or next-gen kind of setup, except that the hostile aliens are us. Mm. They're human, and this weird hostile planet is Earth. It could be a Voyager episode. Yeah, you know what I was going to say is it's basically the plot of Insurrection. Yeah. And, like, I don't like Insurrection, but that's because <laughs> it's taking a plot that really can be told in 50 minutes, and it extends mm. it for, like, two and a half hours. And it's like, no, no, wrong. So yeah. this was give, giving us that story in, like, the correct amount of time. Mm, yeah. And, and even though it's taking its time to hit all those character beats... It doesn't do so in a 90s Trek sort of way. You know, we didn't have a teaser that was completely unrelated to the plot. There were no cuts to whatever funny shit Neelix is getting up to. That's what Lower Decks is for. Right. And I I, I am glad that we have Lower Decks, but I appreciate that Discovery is using the language of Star Trek to tell its own stories and is now confident enough to slow down and smell the roses when it has to. And and it's funny because, you know, one of my complaints about New New Eden last year was that it was a Next Generation story. But this was better because it wasn't hammering us over the head with the fact that it was a 90s or or older Trek-style story and it was really important to the overall arc. Because we got to check in with Earth. 
I assume that's what yeah. I mean. That we, yeah. got, we got to see, like, where, if we were following the story in the correct order, like, mm. not jumping thousands of years, then this is, this is where we would be. This earth that exists, that's where we would be starting. And I think it was important to have that, like, foundation. Right, right. And... I mean, not only check in with Earth, we see that Earth is no longer part of the Federation and there's this mystery about where Starfleet Command even is. And is Starfleet Command geographically, you know, spatial? Ge- mm. Geographically separate from Federation, mm. the Federation capital, because that's safest. Like, I feel like there was a lot of world building here for yes. the new universe. I think that's true. And I also, I kind of, I gotta say, I sort of love the idea of Starfleet Command and the center of the Federation not being on Earth. Like, 100%. I'm super excited for it being non-human-centric. Like, that's, like, that's thrilling to me. It's like, ooh, yes. let's go see what these other planets would do without us. Or yeah. Yeah, so I think it's cool. I think it's cool. I think it's it's good world building that I'm sort of excited for. Like I didn't I didn't have strong feelings for this episode either way. I enjoyed a lot of it and mm-hmm. I sort of like I didn't watch it a second time because I was like I've seen it. I've got it. Like mm-hmm. I don't need to watch it again to understand or have something intelligent to say about it. I'm mostly stuck on Detmer. Like, I could talk about her for an hour. <laughs> I see you have a note in all caps that just says Detmer mm-hmm. yeah. in our notes. I mean, I think but... I put it last because I, I want to talk about the other things first so that mm. then I can refer to all of them in my Detmer discussion. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about the key character point of this episode, which is that Michael has been away for a year and she's changed. Mm-hmm. And she's different. Which is... She's really relaxed it's you know the impression that I got is that it's sort of like this so you know like someone who is in who is an overachiever in like high Mm. school okay and so they're obsessed with like getting into the right college and then they get into the right college and they're obsessed with finishing that and like being like summa cum laude and and ending on a high note right and then they're obsessed with getting an internship and they're obsessed with medical school or whatever and it's like they finally get to a point where it's like you have achieved everything that you that you've you know you have the phd or you have the md or you're you've started your your career and and all of a sudden it's like oh my gosh i don't have to work 45 hours a week i can like (laughs) take a break once in a while I can have lunch I can like take a Saturday Mm. off it's okay and that's the impression I got out of Michael that she's just been such an over an overachiever her entire life and now she's taking like five minutes time to like take a break and actually have a breath and understand what she's been doing all this time is for that's funny because I was thinking she's like the overachiever and the lawyer who works 60 hours a week and suddenly she there's a pandemic on and she has to work from home and she suddenly finds that she can do just as much work in half the time mm. and sitting on her couch. Right. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I don't have a commute. Yes. And I, I wonder if being away from Discovery for a year has kind of separated her from her trauma in a bit and given her space to breathe and to recover and it's not that her family on discovery were in any way holding her back but she's surrounded by you know saru who knew the original Giorgio, and also miro Giorgio, who you know all of her failures are sort of have been right in front of her and then they were gone and it's just her work as a courier and solving this mystery of the burn and finding the federation and her handsome friend who is just a friend and his magnificent cat (laughs) and also like okay so i was really thinking about when did michael ever have a chance to breathe like i was i was like okay so let's actually examine this she went from you know i'm a kid with my parents doing science stuff and Mm -hmm. then now i'm on vulcan and i have to be a vulcan for like 20 years 
and then I'm not allowed to go into the academy, and I so I'm like shoved off into Starfleet because that's a good place for me. <laughs> and then I'm Gosh. in Starfleet for an, another like decade, and it's just like at what point did Michael ever have a chance to say who is Michael? You know exactly, like, and go through like this actual self actualization mm. process because she never had that and so I feel like this year and you can almost think of it as like oh that was not enough time and also it was too much time at the same time that it's Mm. like she finally had a chance to really be herself and it's it's like it's a loss when when she comes back into it it's like all these people who recognize Mm. who she is there's a loss inherent to that and it's like she can want to be recognized you know of course everyone wants to be returned to their family but there's also like this I was starting to understand who I am and now I have to go back into it and so I understand her like hesitation yes I did a writing course a couple of months ago and it was all about structure and it's like you start off at the status quo and then there's a catalyst and something changes for your heroine and then at the climax there is a second catalyst and that's where you integrate the status quo with the new life that the heroine has after the first catalyst Mm. and the ideal ending is a synthesis Mm -hmm. of the two and I feel like Michael has been forced into that second catalyst before she was ready Mm. which is you know this is not a climax but she's she's forced she's has to make us she has to start synthesizing too soon mm-hmm. and she's not ready for it yeah yeah i can, I can see yeah. that and i think shoujo basically says as much you were starting to understand who you are without other people's this. expectations yeah. and she she sort of i mean michael sort of hints that she's done terrible things but we don't really see any of that on screen like how terrible can it be yeah i can't actually imagine michael like, doing anything right Mm. And Book doesn't, like, the worst thing he did was steal from Michael. Like, it doesn't seem like either of them are this warlord-type character. Like, there's, even if, if, if we're in a harsh world... Like, we were talking about Baby Yoda. Like, even if all of a sudden we're in the Mandalorian mm. instead of Star Trek Discovery, they're still the good guys. Like, they're still not going to be the ones who... Hand Baby Yoda over to the Empire. Yeah, it's just like, it's not going to happen. So I, I don't think, like, I can imagine that Michael, a Michael whose, like, formative years were, were living in Sarek's house, like, <laughs> like anything stepping outside the boundaries is going to be seen as, mm. like, a, a crime to her. <laughs> so, so I can imagine that she has this idea that she you know, failed in some way to be this paragon of virtue that she imagines Mm. a Vulcan and a Starfleet officer to be, but it's not actually true. She probably started going to bed late and sleeping in. (laughs) Exactly. I really loved the scene where Michael gets gets Book into a Starfleet uniform because, hello, those things are hella tight. But also... (laughs) Like, it's as much a costume for her as it is for him. And it made me think about Michael as Chakotay and, you know, someone who has been outside of Starfleet and who is suddenly integrated with Starfleet again and in the role of first officer. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like another missed opportunity for Voyager to show the Marquis putting on their uniforms and looking at themselves and going, is this who I am again? I definitely, I mean, everyone who says this, everyone says that, Voyager's promise was like this idea of the two crews coming together mm. and they came together like by the second episode. So it's like, okay, Which I, so I don't <laughs> completely agree with, but I feel like the visual language mm. of, of this, these scenes with Michael and Book could easily have been part of Voyager and would have done a lot for it. I mean, what I liked was the idea that. And yes, it was like Book was super against the whole thing and was sort of like, I'm mm. humoring you. And Michael, you know, this was sort of a coming back to her, her status quo, as we said. Yeah. And, but at the same time, like, 
okay, so the the bridge scene where Saru's like, we have to have a talk about who's captain, and she's like, no, 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 and she's like, so there's like this soft lighting, and her voice is so calm, and she's just like, no, mm. no, you're captain, and like, there's this really interesting thing that they're doing with the technical aspects of what a show is to yeah. to like put forth this idea that she is very like she's sort of like calm and and chill about it mm-hmm. and like she's already sort of come to terms with I'm not going to do that and by the end of the episode they're like basically trying to put her back into that box anyway and it's like it's interesting there's sort of like interesting ideas there that I think I'm hoping that are going to be explored. I know there are a lot of people who think that Michael should have been the captain and I understand that and until season three started airing I completely agreed and I was really annoyed that it looked like Saru was going to be the captain but to be honest I feel like her story is less interesting once she is in power you know, it's like what I was saying last week about how Cat on Discovery wouldn't work because that undercuts some of the tension. Michael's story is always about her struggling against a greater force. And sometimes that force is the person with authority over her, even when they're wielding it perfectly reasonably. Mm. And, and so I don't think Michael in herself, in her heart, is ready to be a captain yet. And I don't think the story is ready to take that step either. I mean, I spent a lot of this episode actually thinking about Beckett Mariner. <laughs> Same! And I, I am kind of... <laughs> like, there was this sort of, like, underlying... You know, and I said this last week that, like, there's this what is Starfleet, maybe that's what this mm. show is actually about kind of thing. And that was definitely in this episode. There was a lot of... What yeah. are what what do we count as if like Earth is different and Starfleet is different and like the universe is different? Like what mm. you know, how do we hold on to our identity? It was you know, there's a lot of that in this. But it and so I so I was like what I was thinking, I was like, okay, so if you take Michael and you take Beckett and you like put them side by side and you say both of these people are Starfleet and also both of these people are not Starfleet, what are we saying? <laughs> Like, mm. it was just, it was interesting. It troubles and interests me that both black female leads have arcs about becoming ready for command and going back and forth on whether they're comfortable with that idea. And it's, it's I love, I love it as a storyline. I love, I love seeing people grow into a position. Uh, I just don't think we ever get that with white men. Mm. You know, Beckett and Michael do not have the confidence of mediocre white men. I mean, yes, very true. <laughs> but it's sort of like if they were telling this story about a, a mediocre white man, like if Michael Burnham was a mediocre white man mm. and we were telling this story, she, would we want that? If she was played that? by a Hollywood Chris. Right. Like, would we want that either? Like, you know what I'm saying? No. Like, no. <laughs> so, so I, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is because I don't want mm. perfect... Uh, paragons of Starfleet ingenuity and intelligence and whatever and you know I don't want them to be that either so it's sort of like I don't know what I want (laughs) and and of course I'm I'm not a black woman so like I don't even want to say what I want yeah I'm waiting for Kennedy from Women at Warp and Ebony from Ebony watches Ebbs watches Trek Mm -hmm. to weigh in yeah like not the not the only black women in fandom, but they're the ones that I follow whose names pop to mind at this exact moment. Who have a voice? Yeah, I yeah, get, yeah. I totally get that. Uh, speaking of characters who are messy and imperfect, and I love them, <laughs> can we talk about Adira? Yes, I've absolutely. only had Adira Tal for one day, but if anything happens to them, I will burn down this quadrant and everything in it. Aww. I um I sh- I see that you you have here written down a uh, Wesley Crusher make them non-binary and also yeah. a trill host and like totally get that and I've actually seen a lot of comments about her as the new Wesley Crusher you know like derogatory comments <laughs> like yeah. people who don't like Wesley are complaining about her or they mm. um although it's not been explicit on screen yet and we'll, we'll talk about that yeah so um. And it's sort of like, okay, but, I mean, there's a lot. First of all, we've only had her 
for like 20 minutes so right <laughs> maybe don't right. make a whole judgment yet but also there's so many different ways that this could go right and i think it could be kind of amazing i was thinking about our leslie crusher episode and how we were saying that the writing of young people in media has grown so much more sophisticated than it was in the 80s right and this does feel like an opportunity for a do-over you know here is a young genius and then they have in Tilly a former teen prodigy mm-hmm, and I'm pretty sure the same can be said of Stamets and it's so interesting to have that you know as Stamets says you're smart that's great everyone on this ship is mm-hmm, really smart mm-hmm. right and so it feels less like Wesley 2.0 is going to save the ship and more like here is a misfit who has found their peers have you watched Dark Matter no, no. I was going to, and then it got cancelled, and I was like, mm. Yeah, fair, because it's pretty upsetting <laughs> that it was cancelled and didn't, you don't get closure. But um, there is a character on Dark Matter 5 who is a teen genius who stows away, and, you know, they don't know who they are. Like, that's what the whole plot of Dark Matter mm. is. The way that... Adira was introduced in this episode was super reminiscent and <laughs> I immediately loved her because of that. I was like, oh my gosh. So this is like five, but we get to keep them, you know, and we get to like tell the whole story. And yeah. So I was, I'm like, I'm really excited. And I, you know, as someone who doesn't hate Wesley Crusher to begin with. Right. <laughs> like a well-written Wesley Crusher, I'm super into like, I'm, I'm ready exactly. for it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And Rhea Adira's pronouns, it really bothered me when I was watching it for the first time that they were being adre- mm-hmm. referred to as she and her and basically put into a female box. And then I read an interview with Blue Del Barrio on Entertainment mm-hmm. Tonight and basically... Uh, they were not yet out to everyone in their life as non-binary and they were not universally using they them pronouns at that point and they felt more comfortable easing into the pronoun thing with Adira and I've seen people saying yeah but Adira is not blue and you need to separate the actors from the characters but I think Listening to them on this demonstrates such a level of care and respect for the well-being of their actors. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, there is... And the concept. Height. Yeah, yeah. Because I am a very, very binary person and I do not remotely understand the non-binary experience. And, like, the world is full of things I don't understand. <laughs> so I just try to remember the pronouns and get on with it. But it seems like a really complicated and nuanced identity. And non-binary people are super, super not a monolith. I mean, yeah, right. So I, at first I was, I was confused. I was like, is this the non-binary character or isn't it? Like I, I was like, mm. I didn't know if I was, I thought that I had read the pre-show releases like incorrectly that's that's where yeah. i was i was like okay this is the trill character this is not the you know so i was i was confused and i think that i wish that they had not announced that it was a non-binary character so that like the audience could be eased into so it, it could happen while there's the yeah so that like the the experience of us watching this character come out, I guess, mm. to people or to themselves um, would be on par with the audience. Like, I understand why Discovery released it. And I, on, on one hand, I think that it's good because I, I like that Discovery and Star Trek and, like, you know, mainstream media are, are addressing this and like saying that it's important and and being visible you know like representation only matters if you get to see it right 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 so i i like that but at the same time i wish that like we could experience it as it's happening so instead of me being confused and instead of you being upset Mm. like we could have like been i don't know eased into it in some way that it so it it wasn't like this baggage before she was yeah. introduced 
And I'm gonna yeah. like I keep saying she and I I because they called her she. And so like and also I know non-binary people who use both. So Yeah. I will try to say they, but right. I'm having difficulty right now in with in this episode because they literally spent the entire episode calling her she. she. Yeah. <laughs> so no, no, and I do understand that people are annoyed that they weren't introduced as non-binary, but I also feel like the audience is an abstract and Blue Del Barrio is the living person mm-hmm. on set doing the work. And if that is what made them feel safe yeah. and welcomed, then good that's what we want from the entertainment industry to accommodate and listen to the needs of all of us all of its personnel and i also think discovery might be doing something interesting in terms of normalizing meeting a person who uses one pronoun and then learning to use right. a different pronoun which is another thing that's like super important because i i know people i like personally know people who i met as one identity and I now know is a different one. And right. their like their intrinsic personhood has not changed at all. It's just like what I call them, you know? And it and that doesn't that doesn't that only matters to them and me, you know? It's like it's not it's not this bigger thing. It doesn't have to be mm. a big thing. It can just be as simple as this is who I am now. And I think making that change is not something that we see much in media yet. You know, people are either introduced and they've already transitioned or adopted their new pronouns Mm -hmm. or not. Or it's a really big, fraught thing and not remotely casual and kind of othering in its depiction. Right. And it could still go horribly wrong. I love that Adira (laughs) is human and I'm concerned that they're non-binary identity will be linked to being a joint joined with a Mm -hmm. with a Mm -hmm. trill whereas you know earth is full of non-binary people yeah like again i know them i know them personally right so they're everywhere they're like they're everywhere yeah so i think that i think there's room to fail on this subplot but so far i'm keeping an open mind and also i just i'm i just really liked the character like yeah really i liked that they were similar to clive i liked that they were similar to wesley i liked that they were similar to tilly like i was really excited to i'm i'm excited to see what happens i I loved like the scene with stamets was just so i love how far stamets has come (laughs) i just that i was just watching was like this Season one, Stamets could never, and it was so. No. it was so heartwarming to he's see. He's come so far, but like, he's still fundamentally he's, yeah. a cranky elitist bastard. Exactly, like he was being completely himself, and yet mm. welcoming. And yet, so it was just. Yes. It was very. It was. It was wonderful. I really loved that scene. I think that was like the strongest scene of the episode for me. Yeah. Do you think he should have consulted Hugh before he adopted someone? Well, only but, if I you know. could see Hugh at all. Then... <laughs> I, I, I mean, this is, again, this is not really a complaint because they, there are so many people now involved mm. in this show that, you know, it's like, okay, everybody can't be in every episode and I'm okay with it as long as they're not forgotten. <laughs> To take it back to Voyager, I think Voyager really suffered from having to shoehorn nine regulars into every episode, and that Discovery makes no attempt whatsoever is a choice that I really respect. It works better on Voyager. I mean, it works better on Deep Space Nine. On Deep Space Nine, like, there was the cast, and then there were, like, all these other people. A massive supporting Like, a huge amount of other people, right? And there were plenty of episodes where you know, only a third of them would show up in. And it was okay, because yeah. it was like, whatever, yeah. you know, okay, Jake's not in this episode, who cares? But to pick someone. <laughs> I love Jake, sorry. <laughs> but I'm just saying he's the easiest one to write out. That, and there are so many episodes where Cole Meany doesn't turn up because he's off filming a movie. Yeah. You know, I'm good on yeah. him. Yeah. So, so I think that, that was a better 
choice than where Voyager. I agree that there were so many episodes where it was like Neelix would come in like in a random mess hall scene. Like mm. there would be a scene that was in the mess hall just so Neelix could be there and for no other reason. And I was like, this is right. unnecessary. <laughs> I, I'm sure right Ethan now. Phillips would have just been just as happy to have the day off and not wear makeup. Exactly. Let's talk about Earth. Earth. People of Earth. As an Australian, I was like, oh, Earth has gone totally isolationist and there's a galaxy-wide humanitarian crisis, asterisk over the humanitarian, and Earth wants nothing to do with it. And I'm like, "Mm, yeah, Earth is Australia. I hate it, but I love it as a narrative choice. I mean, I was like, uh, yeah, that's exactly what would happen. Like, as an American, as an American, (laughs) that is 100% what would happen. I think we're both from countries where we sort of look at this fictional collapse of international organizations and rise of nationalism and go, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) True to life, true to life. I mean, Mm. I hate it, but I believe it. Oh, yeah. It's it's completely anathema to how I was raised. Mm. (laughs) But again, I was raised by a hippie and a college professor. So like they weren't living in the real world either. They definitely weren't living in the real America. Like, I was, I was not raised to love America in any way. So you know, when I went to Michigan early this year, one of my best friend's wife's families, she hugged me and she said, "Oh, now, darling, we love America and we respect the office of the president. We do not like that man in the Oval Office. <laughs> Don't worry about that." And I'm like, "You." You're okay. It's such a nice way of saying it. I like, like, we just, <laughs> yeah. we don't respect that man. It's like, I agree. I don't respect that man. And also I'm like working around the clock <laughs> to try to get rid of him. Like, that's, that's my Your life service. right now. So... Your service is very much appreciated <laughs> like, as a person you, who cannot vote in a U.S. election. People in Georgia are really tired of talking to me. <laughs> I feel really badly for people in battleground states because they are done. They're like, (laughs) whereas me in a state that will definitely go one way and no one cares because it's so tiny anyway, (laughs) no one is talking to me. And I wish that someone would talk to me because I have a lot to say, but I don't matter. One of my friends in Texas, her her deal is to dress up in one of those inflatable T-Rex costumes <laughs> and basically do a get out the vote thing as a T-Rex <gasps> oh votosaurus. And I respect her so much. I love that. That is like you don't understand. Every time I see one of those T-Rex costumes, I get happy because No, no, I, I love them. I love them. <laughs> someone is like wandering around being like Biden for president in a T-Rex costume yeah it's very exciting to me and I respect it like a lot <laughs> and in Texas <laughs> and in Texas oh my goodness I love it oh my goodness okay so but yeah what interesting <laughs> by contrast to the leader of the United States I enjoyed that Captain Nduya and the other inspectors weren't really evil like mm-hmm narrow-minded and duty-bound but they weren't cackling bad guys and Captain Nduya who is played by a South African actress who I love and would love to see in more things she only has four credits Uh, she was in the end open-minded and willing to talk yeah it was I mean it was it was like okay so what was great about this was that they got to Earth and there was like, this is the way Earth is right now. Mm. And they were like, okay, so here's the Starfleet solution. And she was like, okay, tell me the Starfleet solution because I've I've been living without the Starfleet solution for mm-hmm. 20 years or whatever. And, and it hasn't gotten me anywhere uh, other than a bunch of dead people. So sure, like I, I, I don't believe in it. I don't think it's going to work, but I am open to trying because nothing else is yeah and i liked that i respected that that was a good choice yeah i felt like she is a a character who can grow and i really value that in a guest star Mm -hmm. and if they wanted to bring her back i would be pretty okay with it i would like to know more about her and her life and i'm not saying she's the new cat cornwell in my heart but (laughs) give her a couple more appearances and she could be i just i think that i like 
I like the fact that she was in charge of Earth. Like, that was, like, okay, that's a good baseline to be. If if mm. Earth is going to be a horrible isolationist, like, author, authoritarian, terrible place, mm. <laughs> then, then the fact that this woman is in charge is at least saying, okay, that's a, like, we're going to soften the blow. It's not, it's not as bad as you Earth, think it is. Or is she just the United I Earth Defense no person who even knows they, and yeah. you know that's more questions more questions okay can we talk about the final scene like I because I have a lot to say about the final scene with with the tree hugging yes yeah. Go. so okay so I I understood the purpose of this scene and as soon as like mm. I was it was funny because I kept going back and forth when they said she said you know if you guys want to like visit Earth you're welcome and I was like, yeah. oh, we're definitely going to have a scene on Earth now. And then, like, there were three more scenes. And I was like, there's no scene on Earth. What's going on? We haven't gotten to the scene on Earth. I guess it's not happening. And I was wrong. And then we got mm. a scene on Earth. It was, like, it was interesting. They So they sort of, like, they set it up. And then there was, like, a delay. And so when it happened, I was more into it because I had been, like, waiting for it at that point. Yeah. But at the same time, it was so ridiculous. <laughs> It was a little bit cheesy. I, and I say that with the greatest of respect. Because Bo Yon Kim and Erica LaPolt are my favourite Discovery writers. Like I, but it was a bit cheesy. I understand what they were going for. But the fact that they had like this giant tree and they were all like, oh, and you know, thousands of years ago, we were like learning at this tree and now this tree is still here and it's a, it's a big tree. And I was like, okay, first of all, how big was it when you were here? Second of all, like... Did all of you literally, really, really, all of you studied under this tree? <laughs> like, if... Well, I figured that it was the same tree into which Picard carved his initials and then Wesley went on to study under. Like, and it's just like a really good tree, man. I guess so. But I just, I don't, you know, I as someone who has a lot of like personal connections to trees, mm-hmm. I didn't get it. I didn't, like, I wanted there to be more than one tree. I wanted... Like, yeah. I didn't like that it was just one tree. I didn't like that it was just one giant tree. I didn't, I just didn't, it was just, I don't know. And then my main complaint, and like, this is mean. I loved this episode up until this scene. And like, this scene, I shouldn't dislike this scene. I, like, I, I just want to say that. I want to say that up scene. top, that I shouldn't dislike this scene. I get what they were trying to do. It just didn't work for me because... I, the tree part was just seemed silly to me and then they pull back and you see the golden gate bridge and i literally I laughed for like five minutes i like st- i could not breathe i was laughing so hard about the golden gate bridge that was like it pans out <laughs> i'm and laughing again like, right now how many times do you think they've destroyed and rebuilt the <laughs> exactly. golden gate bridge i was like this is so rid-. they were like crying over that stupid tree which is wonderful and i want them to care about the tree more than the bridge but at the same time the fact that the tree had changed so much but the bridge was exactly the same as it is now like i just can't take it i can't it's so ridiculous i'm sorry i'm losing my mind but i I can't i cannot take it seriously here is here is what the tree scene put me in (laughs) mind of and i'm going to get like local (laughs) politics again but this week the very same day that our state government announced the end of our lockdown you know we've got covid under control congratulations Thank you. As we were making that announcement and celebrating as a state, the same state government was bulldozing a set of ancient and spiritually significant trees on the land of the Jaburung people. Wow. I don't know if they're the people, but they're called the Jaburung people. An indigenous population. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and including the oldest and largest tree, which is called the Directions Tree. And, you know, when a member of these people is born, the the placenta is planted with the tree. And so the tree is the people. So I was thinking about that. And then I watched this and all of these mostly white people, certainly (laughs) not Indigenous people, hugging this tree. And I'm like, you get it. This tree is more than just a plant. And, and so it's stupid, but it made me angry about the destruction of the Jaburong trees again. Like, no, see, I, like, okay, again, so my personal connection to trees is there is on the, the road, okay, so I live on this one road, and it's 
uh, cross, it's perpendicular to another road, right? And that road is very mm-hmm. long. And on that same road, that is the road that I grew up in on. Oh, wow. The long road. And that road, um, halfway between where I live now and where I grew up, there is an arboretum. And there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a plaque. So the whole thing is an arboretum, really. The whole, like, stretch of land between me and this end of this road. And there's a plaque, and it's named after my mother. It's like... Oh, wow. So it's like... I'm, when I say personal, I mean, like, super personal. It mm. is... It is trees. It's, and it, it has a quote from the Lorax that says she spoke for the trees. Because she went to the, you know, local political meetings that no one goes to because they're all horrible (laughs) and she said you can't you can't take you can't cut down these trees you can't widen this road the white the road Mm. doesn't need to be wide the trees need to exist and she succeeded they didn't widen the road and they did keep the trees and when she died they named like they put up a plaque saying this these this group of trees is now in memoriam to my mother so That's like amazing. I have really personal connections to trees and I really want to mm. have that personal connection to this particular tree but maybe because it's so obviously fake like it's not a real tree <laughs> it was a fairy CGI tree <laughs> like or maybe just this idea that something can exist for 3,000 years and not change. And it's like, no, the point is that it can change. And that's what's beautiful. Like, I yeah, just... Yeah, and <laughs> that's how I feel about the hints that they want to undo the burn. Like, this is the world and it's bad and we need to make it better. And nothing stays the same forever. And if it did, you know, it's like data existing in a little box as a backup. That's not living yeah and so that this idea that where we you know and again we pan away from the tree and we see the bridge and i agree with you there's no way the bridge like stayed like it has been destroyed a hundred times and they have rebuilt it for some reason it's not like they don't need a bridge anymore that bridge doesn't have to exist because people can fly people can transport personally like, there's no right. reason for that bridge to exist other than some backwards need to remember San Francisco of the past. Mm. And I just, like, wholeheartedly disagree <laughs> with, and it's with like that concept. A tree, a tree survives for a thousand years, and that is beautiful. A man-made structure, like a bridge for cars, survives exactly. for a thousand years. And I don't want it. That's just kind of sad. I want it to go away. I don't... Like, there's there's no reason that there shouldn't be a bridge there. There should be the the water. There should be the bay. Like, it should be free. Let the water and be free. And is it like, you know, people won't understand that it's San Francisco if they don't see the bridge. Uh, but... They won't understand that it's Paris if they don't see the Eiffel Tower. Oh, is is that the motivation? I but, guess. Like, trust your audience. I don't know. It's just, it's so, it's, I just... So I, I literally, I laughed. I laughed forever. Mm-hmm. I laughed and laughed and I texted my brother who lives there. He lives in Oakland. Yeah. Like he has been to the same, the Golden Gate Bridge all the time. He sees it all the time. He works. There. And I'm sure it's a very nice bridge. There are some bridges that I have very strong, positive feelings about, but they're not going to last for us a millennium. It's literally 3138 or something like that. Like there's yeah. just, what? No. But like, we, we have, like, people go to Greece, right, to see, like, mm. the ancient structures. They are not pristine. Right, yes. And they were not pristine a thousand years ago either. No. It's this weird, like, desperation to hold mm. on to something now. And mm. I don't, I don't want to say that it's wrong because I'm not, like, people can find... I don't know, like people can find their own spirituality or something in their own connection to these things. And I don't want to take that away from people. But for me, personally, personally, it does not work. And and in fact, makes me like, it takes me out of the reality of Star Trek because it's throwing me back into the reality of my actual world. 
And, and maybe Earth being closed off and isolated has sort of retreated into a, a toxic nostalgia and a stagnation. That's a really interesting story to tell. But I feel like it's more like they're going, oh yeah, we're Star Trek and this is San Francisco, so there's the bridge. Yeah, and, and what you mentioned the Eiffel Tower and that was in like the final episode of Discovery Season 1. So, like, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is exactly yeah. the same thing. And it's like, no. As okay, if we need to Paris hasn't existed for centuries without the Eiffel Tower, and as if San Francisco won't continue. Look, it might fall into the ocean, but assuming that it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Like, <laughs> it's kind of hilarious to me now, and I understand that, the that West we've Coast already... of America hasn't yeah, changed. We've already like established that in Star Trek, and so I get it. Like, we're already living in an alternate universe in Star Trek. I understand that mm. because. You know, we didn't have Khan in the 90s, so therefore we're already in an alternate universe. However, and I'm not complaining about that. Like, however, the fact that Earth is still so earthy, mm. it's, just, it's just not, it's not realistic. It's not realistic. No. There's, like, why would we, why would we go through this whole change and then build everything back up? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why why do the Titan? Why do the Titan people wear that terrible mask that makes them look like aliens when they don't seem to need it? (laughs) Who knows? It felt very Doctor Who to me. It did feel very Doctor Who. I absolutely agree. But it was also like that was the thing. It was like, okay, that's a human. Like it was just sort of like, hey, guess what the twist is gonna be? (laughs) And it's fine. Again, I don't care that I wasn't surprised because I don't actually want to be surprised. I want everything to make sense and to be a good story. And this was. It was a good story. But it was like, are we really supposed to take you seriously? (laughs) I think it is our duty as Star Trek podcasters to affectionately nitpick even the stories we really like. That's fair. I I like that. Mm. Speaking of which, tell me your caps lock feelings about Detmar. All right, so let me move over to my little. <laughs> All right, so what I want to say is that from the beginning, like literally from first season, I've always mm. been super interested in Detmar because Detmar was there in the first episode. She was on that bridge with yeah. Saru and Michael and Captain Georgiou, right? And she was injured in that battle. So, like, from the beginning, I've sort of been like, what's going on with Detmer? Like, I want to know more. And there was that whole, you know, Michael came on to the Discovery. Lorca was like, hey, this is my little pet Michael. And now she's going to be a part of Discovery. And Detmer was upset, you know, even more so than Saru. Like, Saru was upset. But Detmer was like, I'm not even going to talk to you. (laughs) I am... I am not going to acknowledge that you exist on my on my ship now because I don't respect everything that happened and you like physically hurt me. <laughs> yeah. And emotionally, but like, you know, there there's scars. I have scars because of you. And I respected that and I wanted to know more. I wanted them to talk more and I never really got it. No, no, she's always been a prominent background character. Exactly. Prominent background, uh, and I think, is the best way Emily to Emily Coots gives amazing reaction faces, but they very often last season felt like they were being sh- uh, shoehorned in. Yes. So, okay, so I just want to start with, I refuse to accept anything that is happening with Detmer as, like, related to control. I'm just, like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to acknowledge that that is a possibility. And so if that's what happens, I'm upset and I'm... Like, I won't, I'm just, no. I just say no. (laughs) No, I refuse. That's it. I'm preemptively angry (laughs) about the idea that it could possibly be related to control, and so I'm just not going to talk about that anymore. (sighs) So, you know, it's okay. So first of all, in the scene on the bridge at the end where Michael and Book are on on their ship, Mm. and they're, like, banking on Saru and Discovery figuring out their plan, even though they didn't tell them, even though they could have told them, but whatever. So, like, they went off because, and did their own Michael thing. Michael has gone rogue. Michael has gone rogue, and she is going to, you know, like, she's she's believes 
wholeheartedly that Saru and Discovery will understand what she's doing and will play along. And Which, Saru totally more or less, does. they do. Yeah. It works, right? Everybody's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And Saru says Starfleet doesn't fire first, which is mm. word for word what Captain Georgiou said in the pilot. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is like, they didn't do that. Like, that was not, that is not an accident. That, is, that no. was not an accident. That was word for word. And Detmer, who again was on that bridge with Saru and with Captain Georgiou and with Michael, is like, maybe let's not do that. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe let's fire first. Maybe let's, you know, not trust that this is going to happen. Maybe let's be aggressive. Mm. And I really liked that moment. I liked that moment because I think it's true to life. Like, yes. I think it's fair. I think it's completely reasonable of her specifically right. she's, to have that. She's wrong, but her, her logic makes sense. Right. And so I was, I was just like, oh, wow, I really hope that she gets to discuss this. Like, that she gets the, yeah. that something happens with this because I... I fully believe that she is still hurting from all of that. Which, 100%. You know, I will get to that in a second. But, like, but, but just that, I just, I was just, I loved, I loved that it was her who, who fought back. And therefore, if it is anything to do with control and, like, not wanting to be blown up or whatever, I will, I'm, no, again, I refuse. That, that's not true. <laughs> I, I, I preemptively do not accept that canon. I also think... Like, you look at Detmer's face in The War Without, The War Within, when she thinks that it's the real Giorgio taking command. She is overjoyed. Ugh. She is so happy to right. see her captain again. And, and so it must be extra hard for her to have the Emperor not just still around, but on the bridge, yeah. giving suggestions. Wearing an like, admiral's uniform. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is an ongoing trauma. Right, exactly and I feel like Saru and Michael have had have gotten a chance to deal with it and she's never been given that that chance like she's no, never gotten no. to actually express anything of that she's feeling so like okay so I really want her to have a heart heart with Michael again I've wanted this from like mm. episode three <laughs> so I really want her to have a heart heart with Michael and I hope that happens and the scene with Tilly and the the badge wall. Yes. I get why it was Tilly and I yeah. and I acknowledge that that was a good choice, but what if it was Detmer? <laughs> <laughs> that I would have been so into it being Detmer in that Ah, uh, yeah. I am glad that it was Tilly in that scene because I feel like the Tilly Michael friendship sort of fell by the wayside in the second half of I season agree. 2. And so it felt really good to see them prioritizing that again. Mm -hmm. But now that they do seem to be slowing down and maybe hopefully telling simpler stories and taking the time to let their characters breathe, I do think this is a time to let Kayla Detmer have her moment. Have moment. And it kind of makes sense to me that it, it, it's taken this, it takes this long mm. for it to come forward because, you know, she's badly injured and then it seems like she goes straight back on active duty on discovery right. and it never stops and i feel like suddenly she's removed from all of that but the trauma is ongoing and at some point you reach a break you know you, right. you reach a breaking point so like this is this is i feel like this is maybe in parallel to michael and i said that mm. michael didn't get a chance to stop right until now yeah. and now michael yeah. has had an a year to stop and be just with book and just with grudge mm. and like a sort of a simpler existence. Whereas like, you know, we're saving these worms and we're looking for dilithium and we're like, and we're, and we're looking for yeah. discovery. We're like waiting and trying to find where, you know, we're seeing what's up with Starfleet, but it's much simpler. It's not yeah. like an emergency every week. And Detmer hasn't had that chance. Like, Detmer deserves that chance as well, I guess. Yeah, she needs some fluffy cat therapy. <laughs> yeah, fluffy cat therapy. Like, well, that's what I want. What I want is for Detmer to actually have an arc that is about post-traumatic stress, that is about the 
very real trauma that has happened to her mm. over and over again since episode one. <laughs> and, yes. And actually dealing with that and realizing that, you know, now I'm a cyborg. Now I'm disabled. Now I have to, like, that's a, a, a change that I don't think has been addressed. And now I'm on discovery and now I'm working with Sri and now Michael's here again. And like, there's so much going on that she just has to deal with. And now, now we're like, now I'm never going to see my family again. And now I'm never going to, like, I don't know what she lost, but it could be anything. Right. Right. And, and now I'm reinventing myself, you know, like now I'm in a completely different place and I have to figure out who I am here and I have my family, you know, my team, my, my crew, they're still here, but I've also lost a lot and I've never really gotten a chance to deal with that. And I just, mm. I really want the post-traumatic stress story that I thought I was getting with Lorca and that I was thought I was getting with Ash and in both those cases, I was not given it. It was, it was a trick. No, and it so, seemed like season one was telling a story of three people with post-traumatic stress, and instead it was just Michael and two imposters. Mm-hmm. And Michael didn't get to have the arc. <laughs> but no. We, even now, like I sort of, now that Michael's come back from, the, again, this sort of vacation from reality, mm. we sort of see the results of her arc, but we didn't, we still didn't get to see her arc. Like, no, we, we've and never a vacation from that. reality is not the same as therapy. It's just removing yourself from the triggers. Exactly. So, like, Lorca, Ash, Michael, Kat, Kayla. The series is full of characters who are introduced or who develop trauma along the way, and it's right. never quite allowed to pan out. Right. Exactly. And it's sort of... And again, I, I, I don't want to be this person, and I'm sorry that I keep harping on it, but there's this idea that if you're Starfleet, you're, you just get over it and you accept it and you move mm, on. And it's Like really that you toxic. don't have to deal with it, you know? Yeah. And I just, I'm upset at that idea. I don't, oh. I don't want that to be the reality because I don't think it is. Like, okay, no. so I read the autobiography of Catherine Janeway. Yes. Which, you know, Nicola. is... Yes, by Una McCormick, which is great and also imperfect, you know? Like, there are plenty of things to, to nitpick about it and mm. to complain about. But the most important part for me personally, and again, this is personal, because I lost my father when I was a young adult. I lost my mother when I was mm. pretty young, and then I lost my father. Um, so I was the oldest person in my family when I was 21, which is, like, horrible. Yeah, that, that's... <laughs> Deeply. That's horrible, Deeply okay? It's terrible. Horrible. And there is this um, chapter in Mosaic that is about Catherine Janeway, like, going through a loss and how she can't deal with it. And I always, like, super related to that chapter because I understood. I understood losing, like, you know, they just, they yank the rug out from under you and you are falling forever. And you have to pretend like it's okay and you have to say yes, thank you to every single person who said, mm. you know, I'm sorry your father died. He he did this for me. And it's like, yeah, I know. I, again, I have a, there's a park named after my mother in my hometown, mm. like within walking distance of my house. There, my, I work where my father worked. People know my parents still, even now, <laughs> you know, 20 yeah. years later, people will say, I knew your father. And it's like, that's great and I, I want my parents to be remembered and to be acknowledged as great people but also but it's still hard it's really it's really hard to be the person who has to you know like when am I ever going to be something other than my father's daughter yeah and in this autobiography of Catherine Janeway there is Again, there's this chapter where her father dies and Starfleet basically says, you go deal with that. And when you're ready Mm. to come back, there will be a place for you. And that's what happens. Like she goes away. She goes home. She's with her mother and her sister and her grandparents and, you know, her dog. And Mm. she realizes who she is and what she wants. And she comes back to Starfleet and says, okay, I'm ready now. And they're like, great. Here, you know, here's your, here's your assignment. 
Here are the people who, again, are like another family for you. And we are going to make sure that you're okay. And I don't feel like Michael or Lorca or Ash or Kayla has gotten that Mm. at all. (laughs) And I just really want it for them. This idea that you can just think your way out of, not even think, but if you can manage your trauma by not thinking about it and working harder than ever and you're fine you're fine you're fine you're fine yes that is super unhealthy it's super unhealthy and it is it is real in our real military yeah so i 100 percent believe it. it is true of starfleet and i feel like we have seen that and i think that Again, like I'm not saying that Starfleet is bad and I'm not saying that even the real military is bad. I'm just saying that these, this, the idea that we don't have to deal with our lives mm. is, is unhealthy. And everyone, every, like, okay, so now let's just take like, the universal reality that we are living in a global pandemic and we have been for like eight months. Yes. And that is affecting every single person on earth in some way and to mm. say that it's not to say that that it hasn't affected us at all is that's just gaslight not true <laughs> like it's just not true like it has affected you even if you don't think it has affected you it has affected you in some way and it's okay to say hey guess what i'm not doing as great as i was in uh. you know january because because now my life is completely different and I think that we need to acknowledge it and it's it's okay like it doesn't make us less of a human being to acknowledge that trauma affects us and it doesn't make us weak no it doesn't make us weak it makes us like what makes us weak is saying that that we don't need to deal with that like that's Mm. weak that's it's weakness to say no I refuse to acknowledge that that's true yeah it's it's strength to say you know even like a 12-step program says the first thing you have to say is this is the reality yes so I like I you know again (laughs) I think we spent a lot of last season uh complaining about Discovery's handling of trauma stories and I think that's going to be a thing this year again and uh, you know if this show succeeds in a lot of areas and fails in that I'm kind of okay with that because that's fic that I can write yeah but... that's fair and I, I yeah like right so the so this my obs- like it is literally an obsession like I have mm-hmm. been all I care about <laughs> it's what what today is Friday's only been one day. It's only been one day, but all I care about is Kayla Detmer. Like, all this other (laughs) stuff that happened is important and, like, probably way more important to the plot and, like, the overarching story and Discovery as a whole. But literally all I care about is Kayla Detmer, and I just want her to have this arc that I've made up in my mind. And if I have to write it myself, okay, I will. I think you're wrong that it's unimportant. I don't think we would be seeing as much of her and as much of her struggling if it was unimportant. And I kind of do hope that it's not control and that's all a fake out. And yeah, yeah. Because I I think if nothing else, having both characters with cybernetic implants due to (sighs) injury being possessed is honestly pretty ableist. Yeah, I mean, but by... Yeah. I just and just like for even even ignoring that which is like a huge problem but even ignoring mm-hmm. that the fact that we're going to pretend we're having a PTS storyline but really there's like this sci-fi twist like again you know what I am I I, I didn't like it the first time I didn't like it the mm-hmm. second time and the third time I will just never stop talking about how bad it is like <laughs> That's where I'm at. I remember in season one, I was like, there is no way. Like, I fully, I was fully on board with the Ash is a Klingon theory, but I was like, there is no way Lorca would be from the Mirror Universe because clearly they wouldn't be so silly as to do two PTSD fakeouts but apparently, and two imposters on the same ship. And I was wrong. And even, like, Pike is sort of a preemptive PTS story. Like, he's a PTS yeah. story in 
like backwards or something like which is again is like this sort of annoying sci-fi twist to something that is very real to a lot of people yeah i i don't mind that twist so much because i think it's genuinely interesting but coming alongside all of the other right it's it's the it's the compounding like even yeah even like this you know even if the arium i didn't really love that either i'll be honest i was sort of against the whole arium plot like i just don't think it was well done i think that it was rushed and it ended up being i don't Whatever. I don't think any of the character deaths in season two were well executed. (laughs) I am not biased. But given that that's already happened, if we did sort of a similar thing again, even if she survives, it's still Mm. like retreading and I just I just don't want it. I don't want that story. I want the story that they're set that they're broadcasting Mm. and I will be really upset if they're broadcasting a fake story again. An interesting twist would be if she thinks it's a control issue, so she takes advantage of 32nd century technology to have her implant removed and have her injuries healed, and whoops, she's still traumatized. Oh, okay, yeah, that would be interesting. I agree with that. Mm. And also, you know, Emily Coots could stop wearing that thing and stop shaving her head. <laughs> only if she wants to. Yeah, only if she wants to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so, like, I just, I'm completely obsessed with Kayla Detmer and and I'm going to continue to be like that's format like I'm sort of like I was sort of low-key obsessed with her already (laughs) so now that I don't have Kat to distract me (laughs) I'm gonna be completely obsessed with her and I don't think that's a bad thing do we have yeah I was gonna say do we have anything more to say about this episode (laughs) no I feel good I feel like I have said I have said my piece, and my piece is Kayla Detmar. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod and at Facebook on on Facebook again, searching for Antimatter Pod. If you like us please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. A five-star review. Then everyone <laughs> will be able to see us. Yeah. yeah. If you if you have a two-star review, tweet at us so we know, but don't leave that. And join don't even, us. Like, just keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. We don't need that sort of thing. I'm a, I will, you can tweet it at me personally at Dane <laughs> if you really want to, and I will acknowledge it. But don't. I will not. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's a lie. I will read it many times and take it to heart, and lie awake and stress. Look, we just really want you to like us, okay? <laughs> Please, <laughs> and join us in next week when we will be talking about the next episode of Star Trek Discovery. Forget me not, which is a flower in a. Movie.